Romans, gospel for all times. Just to catch everybody up, we are in the series in the book of Romans. We're going to be there for over a year. We'll take breaks every once in a while, uh, but uh, we're walking through verse by verse and trying to understand exactly the arguments that Paul is putting forth. We started before Easter with the big picture elements of what Paul would be talking about, and then we broke for four weeks for the Easter series, and then we came back last week, and if you recall... I gave you the, the next section. The whole section is chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 8. And it's, it's really all about the sinfulness of the human race. And, and last week, we talked about a general indictment. Paul said, all of mankind is without excuse. That was his big thing. They're without excuse because God is. Remember, general revelation was that God revealed himself through creation, that there is a God. Everybody say, God is. God is. They should at least know that. And instead, they chose idolatry. They chose to worship the creature instead of the creator. Not even the creature. At times, they chose to worship the stick figure of a creature. I mean, how silly that man is worshiping what somebody whittled out of a stick to make it look like a snake. And God's there, the creator of all things, saying, this is, this is why man is without excuse. They chose to worship anything other than God. And that's where we ended last week. This week starts with the word therefore. And really, I I look at these words like Paul is in the courtroom and he's laying out a foundational argument. And he's just, and this morning he's gotten up front and said to the jury and the judge, everything I've just said, man, is without excuse because they rejected God and they chose idol worship. They chose self-worship. Therefore, now Paul is going to give us exhibit A, of man's depth of his sinfulness. That's where we're going to be at this morning. The big idea for today is despicable me. And nobody likes to think of those terms, but I I was thinking of the actual movie. I love the movie, Despicable Me. I love that movie. And and it's funny that we end up worshiping and loving the bad guy. He's a bad guy. He's sinister, right? And we, but he's not as bad as the other bad guys. And that kind of plays into what we're going to talk about today. The main issue for all of us as we talk through some of these sin issues, we're not talking about which sin is worse. We love to play that game. At least I'm not that bad, right? And we look at other people's sins. It's never about which sin is worse. It's always about which sin is mine. Somebody at the first service left and they said, I couldn't help but to think, what if we all had to wear a tag? Here's my sin. What if we all had to go around wearing our tag? This is my identity. This is who I am. We would hate that. But it's easier for us just to point at other people and say, well, at least I'm not like them. And that's not what this passage is about. So I hope to explain it for you today. And in, not in any way of, of being ashamed of this, you come into passages like this, and I want to let you know we're going to be talking about homosexuality today because it's what is in this passage. But I don't do this with glee or cheer I do this somberly because I know that homosexuality has affected most of our families. Most everybody in this room have family members or relatives or friends or co-workers. And, and it, it, today you have a choice to make. Please listen to my message all the way through. Don't get up and leave if you hear something you don't like. I'm, I'm here standing you saying I am with you. It, it is, my life has not gone unaffected by this as well. And so I'm saying what I say today carefully and out of love and concern, not judgment. And I want you to stick around to hear this whole thing. And I'd like us to pray. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you pray 
this prayer silently to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Can you just give that prayer to God? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified and may the people hearing this message be edified and may Satan be horrified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we even read the text, I want you to be aware of a threefold repetition of two themes. As I read this over and over again, there are two themes that become very clear in this next passage, and there's a threefold repetition of those two themes. I'm going to tell you what they are before we even read it. Number one is the word exchanged. Everybody say exchanged. An exchange means to choose one over the other. Now, Paul has already made this in his fundamental argument. He said that they exchanged the glory of God for images of the creature, right? There's been an exchange. I call it the dark exchange. He's going to use that three times. And the second of the two themes is God gave them over. You're going to hear this over and over again. They exchanged, and then God gave them over. They exchanged, then God gave them over. What does this giving them over mean? That means giving over control of or responsibility for. And that's what I want you to hear today is, as Paul is just giving us exhibit A of how sinful man can be, he wants to let you know that this is part of God's wrath. Understand that. We know that God's wrath will be poured out in Revelation. We understand that. We understand that his his wrath was poured out on the cross on Jesus, but it is currently being enacted. Today, people are living in the wrath of God, and it's simply the act of God saying, if that's the path you're going to go down, then you're free to go. He's handing them over. He's allowing them. See, mankind has said no to God. I refuse to have you in my life. I'll choose what to do. When they exchange truth for a lie, God says, I will let you go there. You need to understand that means he's allowing sin, not that he created sin. He's allowing people, not making people sin. And he's giving them freedom. But you gotta be careful what you do with freedom. Sometimes when you get freedom, you end up getting stuck in chains again. And the freedom that God hands people over to usually ends up in an addictive mode of some kind of a spiral downward. I thought of this this morning. I'm ashamed to admit I've been busy and thinking about a lot of things and so I haven't been paying close attention. But I drive by Wojo's every day. Between church and my home, Wojo's Nursery is there. They've had this on their sign for over a week and I didn't catch on. I should have. On their sign, they usually put some cute, funny, quirky saying, but on their sign for the last week, it says, we have apples, peaches, and pears. I drove by thinking, oh, that's nice. The next time I drove by, I'm thinking, where where are they getting apples and peaches and pears? And it didn't dawn on me this morning until I realized, oh, they sell the trees that the fruit comes from. Every tree has numerous apples and peaches and pears on them. Whatever tree you get, it has a lot of those fruit. I get it. How cute. And then it's almost as if God said, this is your illustration for today, Don. What we're seeing today in Paul's explanation of man's sinfulness is God hands them over. It's like an orchard. And in that orchard, there are fruit trees. And off those fruit trees grows the fruit. We as Christians might be very frustrated, but we shouldn't point our anger at the fruit. 
You need to understand that the fruit of sinfulness falls from the tree of sinfulness and it's grown in an orchard of sinfulness. Our world that we're living in today is that orchard that's producing the things that you might see that frustrate you. This morning, I want to I point you not to be angry at a certain fruit, but to understand that that fruit is what is born out of an orchard. And we all come from the tree. We all come from the tree. Paul's point here is not to point out one sin over another. He does use one sin as an illustration, but in this, you're not let off the hook. In this passage, you'll find that he nails every one of us. Every one of us. So I walk into this carefully today. I want to take it verse by verse. Would you just follow along? The notes, thank you for being gracious. People are picking up the notes now. I actually had to print more this morning. You talk about making a pastor happy. Last week I was like, we're throwing away all these notes. This week I I had to print more. So thank you for doing that. Let's just go verse by verse and then I'll make some points and we'll be done today. Verse 24, therefore, that's always important right? Whenever you see a therefore, you always got to go back and find out what it's there for. Paul has just made his indictment and he's talked about idolatry. They exchanged God for creature. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of the heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Sinful desires is there. And I want you to notice that those sinful desires are where? They're in the heart. Isn't it interesting? Once again, Paul has used the difference between the heart and the brain. I know that sin starts between the ears. You you think about it and you're tempted and you do. But Paul makes this distinction that it's from the heart where people make choices. That reminds me of my favorite verse. One of my wife's favorite verses is Proverbs uh, 23 and verse or 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Christian, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. We make choices every day. And we're sinful. So therefore, if we're going to make sinful choices, what's important is your heart. Guard your heart. And then he talks about sexual impurity. And I want, to, I want you to understand today, I think Paul is, is giving us two main categories of sinfulness and he uses homosexuality as an example under sexual impurity. And I'm afraid that we're so ready to pass by it and get to homosexuality because it might not be what you struggle with. But I want you to know that he starts with sexual impurity. Let me tell you, that involves all sexuality that goes against God's design. Fornication, adultery, pornography, if you're in this room today and you're doing anything that goes against God's standards for your purity, then he's talking about you right now. He's going to use homosexuality as exhibit A to how deep it could spiral out, but all of us can fall into this category today. He talks about sexual impurity is that God is the author of our sexuality. And I got to tell you, there's nothing dirty and there's nothing wrong about sex. God made it and it is good I'm thankful I'm a pastor of a non-denominational church and not a Catholic priest because I think God gave us this wonderful gift and it's a good thing and we shouldn't be afraid or ashamed to talk about it. It's a good thing. I got busted. I've had sex at least three times. I got three kids. That's all you need to know. We'll stop there because my wife's like, stop, stop, stop. But I want you to know, I'm not standing on this stage as some prude that is, 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 is saying that all sex is right. It's not. 
But let me tell you about sex. The best possible road you could be on is God's path for your sexuality. See, God's path for your sexuality is intimacy. And he's the one who gets to define how best that works. Again, you're like, I know, but PD. I I understand. The world has said no to God. They've exchanged God for their own devices, and therefore God has given them over. Go ahead. Go ahead, young buck. Take your walk down that path and see where you end up. And so we have in verse 24, sexual impurity is one of these things. But God is the author, and in God's expression of intimacy, he says it's one man and one woman. Anything else than that is degrading. Degrading means a loss of respect, dishonoring, humiliating God's creation. So in verse 25 then he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worship and serve created things rather than the creator. That's his repetition of his argument. But then he breaks out into something he he didn't do before. He said, God, who is forever praised, amen. (laughs) I love how Paul was like, it's God and God only to worship. Don't fall for a cheap substitute. Don't fall for the imitation. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Now we get into the expression and illustration of the depth of sinful spiral. Now, listen, if you're here today, young person, I I can't express my deep felt concern for our young people because you're growing up in a world that we didn't experience, not not in the depths that you are today. I'm fully aware that in our culture today that has gone so far down the path of idolatry, the worst possible thing you could be as a teenager is straight white suburban. <laughs> and I know that most people here are frustrated that we, we hear that the world would love to take our kindergartners through third grades and, and explain to them all that they can choose whether they're a boy or a girl, they can choose whether they like boys or girls, and we get really frustrated by that. But I want you to understand today, what do we do with that frustration? Let's not go hunting out fruit. Let's understand the orchard and the trees that it falls from. And understand that we were all born in that same orchard from the same tree of sinfulness. And if we're going to talk about orientation today, I want to make sure you understand that each of you were born with a sin orientation. It might not be this one illustration of sin, but we all have been born in that sin illustration. So I talked about, uh, we didn't get there yet, natural and unnatural. Let's go there. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Shameful lust there means a degrading passion, a loss of moral truth. Our world has just lost it. They've lost it because they made the choice. They made the choice to exchange God for self. They've said no to God. But then he gets to that, and I love that he did this, natural sexual relations. And what he means by that is God's design, God's fit. It's a shame that I have to say all these things and explain them today. There was a day when most people grew up on a farm. Who grew up on a farm? If you grew up on a farm, I bet you your mom and dad didn't have to have a talk about the birds and the bees. Because if you grew up on the farm, exhibit A every day. Cows be cows and sheep be sheep and there's a boy sheep and a girl sheep and there's a boy cow and a girl cow. And this is what God did in Genesis. By the way, Paul is really explaining from creation forward. And when he talks about this 
natural relations, God's design and how it that naturally fits. It reminds me of Adam. Can you imagine Adam sitting there after creation and God had made all things and there he is all alone. And then God says, hey, I want you to name all the animals. And so here they come. And they come, male and female, and you're hippopotamusi, and, and you guys are giraffes, and you guys are elephanties. And he's going through all these different animals, and each one of them had male and female. Male and female. How long did it take before Adam said, there's no Adamuses? <laughs> and God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And then God created woman. And, and I'll point out, we did our marriage thing on Wednesday night. God didn't take uh, Eve from Adam's feet where he would walk all over her. He didn't take him from the head that Adam would rule over her. He, didn't, he, he took Eve from his side so that he, she would be beside him and he could protect her with his arm. That is God's fit and that is God's design. And it's really not hard to see that that is what is natural and right. I'm not going to do an anatomy lesson today. But it fits. Do you hear me? It fits and it's right. God made male maleness and he made female femaleness. And God made the male and female. When you read Genesis, it's amazing to me that God in his wisdom repeated himself three times. He said he made them male and female. Then male and female. He created them female and male for his glory. It's very clear today that God made men and God made women. That's what fits and that's God's natural plan. But we're born in a sinful orchard. And we fall from a sinful tree. God's design is God's design. You choose whether God is God or whether you're going to be the one sitting on the throne. And... I didn't say this to this session, but I want to say this now. I don't have time this morning to talk about all the arguments. I understand that there are so many arguments about theology that Paul has no idea what he's talking about. I understand that some people say there wasn't homosexual uh, loving relationships back then. It was only abusive homosexual. I understand all the arguments. I don't have time to show you them, how that none of them hold water. I can't do that today. All I can tell you is when Paul makes his argument here, it's pretty straight and obvious. You have to do some mental gymnastics to not understand what Paul is saying. This summer, we're going to do a series called The Elephant in the Room. I'm going to take a whole Sunday to talk about sexual orientation, about transgenderism, and about homosexuality, and about um, bisexuality. I'm going to talk about all those things this summer, and when I do that, I will give you the whole layout. I, I just want to let you know that your pastor is not an idiot today, and I'm not some conservative, closed-minded bigot. I, I understand all the arguments. I'm just here to tell you I've read the arguments, and none of them are true. What Paul is saying here is clear. They exchanged... God's plan for their own fit. They went down a different road, and he's going to explain that. And one of the biggest things I have to bring up today is, did Jesus never condemned homosexuality? That's one of the biggest arguments. Well, Jesus never talked about pedophilia. He never talked about drug abuse either. There's a lot of things that Jesus straight out didn't condemn. But can I tell you, when he was asked about marriage, Jesus quoted, God made them male and female, and therefore a man should leave his father and mother and take his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus talked about natural God plan for sexuality. Jesus did. He confirmed the right way. And in doing so, he told us the other ones are not right. It's not natural. It goes against God's nature. Verse 27. In the same way, 
Men abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Let's go back up and look at the term inflamed with lust. What does that mean? It means they're burning with passion. And here's where I want to explain to you what does it mean they receive within themselves the due penalty. Friends, I'm here to tell you, I, I grew up in the 80s. Went to seminary in the 90s, and I'm sad to say that there were people in churches standing up and saying that that meant AIDS. They received in their bodies the due penalty. God gave them AIDS. I'm here to tell you today, God did not give AIDS to punish gay people. If that were the case, then why didn't all gay people have AIDS? And why did people that weren't gay get AIDS through transfusions? This is nonsense, and I'm telling you, it's pointing at fruit, and it's being abusive toward fruit. When that is not at all what God means. God, what God means about the due penalty they received, he makes it very clear if you follow his argument. Paul is saying the due penalty they received was that they exchanged God's glory and God handed them over. It's the handing them over that is the due penalty because now they're in their own devices. And if you walk down a road far enough and get far enough away, you find yourself trapped with no way out. And you need to know, we're not talking about just homosexuality here. I'm here to tell you I'm a type A1 driven personality, but you know what that means? I'm an addictive personality as well. You guys know that. Your pastor likes coffee. No, he doesn't. He loves coffee. I couldn't just drink coffee like normal people do. I have to be obsessed with coffee and how it's made. That's my personality. I take something if I like it and I go all the way. I loves me some coffee. I love cake and cookies. And if there are cake and cookies, I'd eat them all. My wife came home, they had a big event, and they made 1,500 cookies, and they only ate 300, and they couldn't take them back. She brought some home. I got a box of cookies. Oh, praise be to Jesus. Somebody come help me. <laughs> because I'm an addictive personality. I run down the path. I run with my own devices. I might have shared this before, but there was a time in, in our marriage when younger, I don't know if we had kids yet, but our pastor of the church I was serving at told us we were heading to Colorado. And he said, hey, there's a place I want you to go. It's called Gold City, Colorado. And you got to go to this casino there because they have the world's best hamburger. I want you to go have that burger. I said, my pastor told me to. So I went to Gold City, Colorado and found out that you can't, the city is like up on a hill. There's no parking. So they have a park down below on a flat. You park there and they shuttle you up, but you got to pay five bucks to get on the shuttle bus. I didn't want to give five bucks. They said, well, you get it back. I'm like, okay. So I gave him five bucks for me, gave him five bucks for Julie. When we get off the bus in Gold City, they gave us chips. They didn't give us cash. They gave us chips. And I'm like, okay, well, no big deal. Okay, no big deal. Pastor told me to come. What, what's it going to hurt? So I took my chips and instead I, I decided to cash them in and to use them for slot machine. Got to love that. Except for if you're a type A one driven personality. You know what the worst thing in the world that happened that day? I won. I'm like my second or third pool, I won $40 in cash. I'm like, <gasps> type A one addictive personality? Did I take that money and buy the burgers and leave town? No. Julie pulled me out of that town when we were $90 in the hole. I had lost that 40 and 50 of my own. I'm telling you this today to be transparent with you. 
God tells us about all of our sinfulness in this passage. My sin might not be your sin. And somebody else's sin might not be my sin. And if I don't understand that, how should I treat that? That's the due penalty. The due penalty is is that insatiable desire, that unquenchable desire to keep and not getting enough and wanting more. That's exhibit A of the dark exchange. The orientation. People say it's just who I am. I was born this way. I'm gonna tell you, I've struggled with this. I've, I've heard so many people give that as an argument for homosexuality. Well, God made me this way and therefore I should be free to act out on this. And I've always said there's no way that's true because God is not the author of sin. But through this passage and study, I think I'm beginning to understand you were born this way. Because you came from the tree that was in the orchard and we're all born with a sin orientation. And my sin might not be your sin, but we all are born this way. We're all born with a bent and it's to ungodliness. That's why, friends, I want to remind you, that's, that's the gospel urgency in this whole message about man's sinfulness. We need to be people of the gospel because it's the gospel, the only thing that... Don't you thank God that he saved your pastor? Amen. Aren't you thankful that the gospel came into this heathen and and it changed me? I was on a spiral downward. I was in my own devices until Jesus came and, and helped me and gave me freedom. All of us need to remember that. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. What does depraved mean? It's morally corrupt, it's wicked. It's rationalization that it's not wrong, it's just what I feel like doing. It makes me feel good. I should do what makes me happy. All these kind of comments we hear today. And I wanna let you know we've turned a corner here because Paul, Paul has said, Sexual impurity is exhibit A, but there's also other sinfulness. So we're moving to, 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 we're moving to exhibit B. And if you're sitting here today feeling really good that that's not your sinful issue, you're going to get nailed in verses 28 through 31. Everybody is going to get absolutely nailed to the wall in this next few verses. So let's hear what he says. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. I think those four words there are not individual sins. I think it's the heading of sin. I think Paul is saying, hey, listen, people are depraved and and they're, they're full of every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Now he gives the list. Listen to the list. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand for yours, although I might be handing out some placards on the way out, okay? They are full of Envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips. Shouldn't be a break there for verse 30, but we'll stop anyway. So here's the examples of wicked, evil, greed, and depravity. It's envy, murder, strife. Strife simply means conflict, constant conflict. Deceit which is misrepresentation of the truth. Malice, which is ill will toward other people. Gossips, tearing down other people. Anybody got nailed to the wall yet? We like to, we like to point out the fruit that we don't struggle with, but it's a little worse when we've got to look at the fruit that we're bearing. He doesn't end there. If you haven't and you're still feeling really good about yourself, hang on. 
They're slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. What's slander? Slander is false, damaging statements. God-haters, that's self-explanatory. Insolent means rude or lack of respect. Arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil. That's how sinful man got. Man went so far down the road when God said, okay, you exchanged me for your own devices, then Take a walk. See where it leads you. Where does it lead them? They are so obsessed that they invent new ways of evil. And then they disobey their parents. <laughs> We're all done by now, right? I mean, aren't we all on the list? And then he goes to verse 31, which I think is not the list anymore. I think it's the result of the list. So you have the categories of sin, then you've got the sins themselves, and then he ends by saying they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. What's the result of the sinful walk that we've taken? We don't understand, we are not faithful and loyal, we don't love, and there's no mercy. It kind of sums up our world, doesn't it? When you see how far the world has spiraled out of control, they've taken a walk down a sinful path, and it's full of bad consequences. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, but they approve the people who practice them. I don't want you to get caught up on the deserve death thing. It really bothers me when Christians would take the one little section that he talks about homosexuality and then apply the death sentence and then say that God wants gay people dead. Well, did you miss it? Are we going to bring everybody up here who's homosexual so we can kill them? Well, then let's start lining up. Anybody ever tell a lie? Come on. Anybody ever uh, misrepresent the truth? Come on. Tax season was just last week. I mean, you guys remember, right? Did anybody here ever disobey your parents? Come on up. Line up for death, everybody. Don't skip the totality of what Paul is saying here to make some kind of inflamed passion about one sin. And then... And by the way, he's basically, he hasn't got to Romans 3.23 or 6.23, but it's there that we learn that all have sinned. All means all, that's all, all means. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This isn't far from us to understand. We know this. It's just when we hear the list of sins and we want to apply a death penalty, we, we skip over the ones that are ours. We're not that bad. This list is not meant to be a list of whose is worse. It's not. It's meant to be exhibit A of our sinfulness. And it characterizes who our world is today, doesn't it? And then it even goes as far as to say they don't just do them, but they approve of people who practice them. That's our world today. Our world is not content just to be evil. It wants to teach how to be evil. It wants to tell our next generation, you're not normal unless you're bisexual. You're not, you're not right unless you have some, something you could claim to be. That's tragic, and, and that's hard that our teens are growing up in that world today. And parents, you need to arm your kids with, it's okay to say I'm not. It's okay. It's okay to say God is speaking truth. He tells us about these things in his scripture. We don't have to run from truth, but we don't need to go as far. The pendulum doesn't need to swing where we hate only certain sinners for their sinfulness. So I'll give you some points and we'll be done. So the dark exchange is what we're talking about today. The dark exchange where God hands us over to our own devices. The first mark of the dark exchange is a widespread sexual immorality. Is that the world we live in today? You betcha. You betcha. It's in your face. 
It's, it's taking what God made for us and seeing how Satan twisted it. Remember, what God gave us was beautiful intimacy, one man and one woman. The world has twisted it because Satan has twisted it. I've explained my theology of sex to you before. Satan was an angel of light, but he wanted to be God. And then God made humans? I mean, angels are wonderful things. And then he made humans and he gave us procreation. Can you imagine Satan in heaven looking at God going, you're going to let them create life out of nothing? He hates your sexuality. Of course, it's one of the exhibit A's of of the twistedness of this world. Sexual immorality is exhibit A. The degrading or dishonoring of the way God invented us and made us to be. Number two, the second mark of a dark exchange is homosexuality. Again, I, I personally believe that homosexuality is an explanation of sexual impurity, one of the methods. But I'll put it here because he brought it up and made it one of his main points. So natural means God's design. Unnatural is not God's design. And then we must understand the due penalty. The due penalty is that God hands us over to our inflamed desires. How awful would it be? to be in a situation where you can't get enough to satisfy. That's the evilness of pornography, by the way, and that's the evilness of any sexual impurity. It's just never going to satisfy. Insatiable, unquenchable. That's God handing them over to their own choices. The third mark of the dark exchange is a depraved mind. The list of wicked, evil, greed, and depravity. And that list nails all of us. The result is there's no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. I want to wrap it up to make sure you heard your pastor today because I'm sure in a room like this you heard maybe what you wanted to hear or you heard what you thought I said, but I want to give you a conclusion so you know what I'm saying today. The dark exchange is exhibit A of God's indictment on mankind. There is no moral superiority of not being tempted by what tempts someone else. Again, if you leave today, I was not here stoking up the base so we could all slap me on the back afterward and say, you nailed those. If you heard that today, you didn't hear the truth and you don't know my heart. There is no moral superiority because one sin might not be your issue. We all have a sin orientation and that's why we need the gospel so desperately. Parents, <laughs> I know it'd be easy to just be outraged when you hear the world and they want to teach our third graders these things. Of course they do, because they're not satisfied with just doing it. They want others to be it that way too. I know you can be outraged, but let's make sure what we're outraged about. Let's not attack people. Understand that we're talking about the orchard where we all come from. And we are now at the point in history where we've gone down the road long enough that we're starting to see unbelievable consequences. When we put someone on the Supreme Court who can't explain what a woman is or refuses to do so, when they're asking to teach things in kindergarten to kids who don't even know if they like pizza yet, we're asking them to make a choice about their future. You might shake your head and say, I can't believe it. Of course, of course, of course. Paul told us this is what was coming. And it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. 
And, and it would be a shame if God's people just said, oh, I'm so happy that I'm not like you. You know, Jesus had something to say about that when he saw people in the temple praying, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't make me like that sinner. Jesus didn't like that. Because we're all born with a sin orientation and we all live out our, our, our sinfulness. But for the grace of God... I end today by telling you once again, like I ended last week, what we really should be concerned about. There it is. Gospel urgency. Say it with me. Gospel urgency. See, this is the remedy. This is the thing. This is the moment when man, left to his own devices, are heading down a road of destruction, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, and all of a sudden they have an opportunity. God calls them back to himself, and they hear the gospel message. It's at that moment that they can finally see hope is in Jesus. Forgiveness is in Jesus. A new life is in Jesus. Freedom. Freedom. Oh, we should have nothing but compassion for people that are on the road of insatiable, unquenchable desires that go against nature itself. We should have nothing but compassion and love. And we ought to be gospel urgent, knowing that that's what changes people. It's what changed me. It's what changed you. And we should never remember, we should never forget that that toilet bowl of consequences, that spiral downward, once you've received Christ and forgiveness of sins and freedom, don't put your life back in the toilet. Don't, don't go back to being stuck. Maybe you find yourself there today. Maybe you find yourself you've never receive God as God. And maybe you're living a life of the dark exchange in some form or another today. There's hope. There's always Jesus. And there is forgiveness. Aren't you thankful that God loves you today? And can I remind you that on that cross when Jesus died, he didn't just die for my little white lies. (laughs) He died for all sin. He didn't get on the cross and say, okay, I'll do this. But there's a list of things that I just will not do this for. I will not. No. He died for it all. And every person, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the offer. That's how much God loves you. You're hearing about wrath. You're hearing about sinful man. I got good news. Romans 3 is coming. I got good news. Romans 5 is coming. Romans 8 is coming. We're hearing the indictment, and I know that's heavy stuff. But Paul's not going to leave us in our sinfulness. He's going to tell us about the gospel. Amen? Our band had to be done today. They couldn't stay. Um, It would be great if we could close this service with the song that we already sang. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Isn't that our prayer? We need to remember that. But I do close our services after communion Sunday with the blessing. Would you stand and receive that this morning? Lord bless you 
hand keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you, and give you peace. All right, God bless. Come back next week and we'll continue to talk.